This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Hello, and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, can you believe that after 15 years of it going off the air, people are still making references to the TV show Friends? They are. I mean, no one told you life was going to be this way. (sighs) (laughs) Uh, uh, I mean uh, (laughs) What's the good news? The good news, Hank, is that there's been a game-changing That's a quote Approval of a liver transplant procedure That is expected to have the waiting list for liver transplants The procedure, which was approved for use in the UK this week, uses a perfusion machine to keep donated livers viable for transplantation for three times longer than current methods. Oh, okay. So it gives the livers a little bit more time to, like, move around and thus spread out across to more potential recipients. Correct. great. So, yeah, we are making progress all the time on the big healthcare challenges that we face as a species. You know, John, that seems like really big news that I didn't hear about. Hmm, I wonder why. Maybe it's because good news uh, tends to not, like, penetrate into the social internet in quite the same way that bad news is, unless, unless Unless? that good news is the release of a new song by The Killers, in which case it does do a good job of penetrating (laughs) into the social media sphere. (laughs) I did not. I actually did not hear about that. Well, you must not be following Rosiana on Twitter because (laughs) even though I'm not on Twitter, I felt through the ether the release of a new Killers song. (laughs) I, I... 
I find that what is mostly penetrating to, to me, as someone who actually uses the social internet, is the most ludicrous news at this point. Really? What I really hear about is the stuff that you're just like, what and how? And also, why Why are we talking about this? Oh, my, it is, it is as if these platforms are built for comedy, not information. Can you tell me an example of something that's ludicrous that people have been talking about that I know nothing about? I don't know. Did you hear that for the last three days, no one can talk about anything except for the fact that Donald Trump served hamburgers to a football team at the White House? No, I did not know. That. You didn't hear about the, oh my! It's it's astounding to me that you didn't hear about this. What because happened? It's, it's like uh, theoretically, quote unquote, because of the shutdown. He didn't. They, they were like, we can't. We don't have enough staff. To, it, this is not actually the case, but like whatever. To to uh, like make food for everybody. Uh-huh. So we just they, so they just got like three hundred hamburgers from Burger King, Wendy's, and McDonald's hmm. because they wanted to use all three of them so that they didn't show preference. I guess though, if you see the the chart of the table, which by the way showed up on my Twitter feed, the chart of the table and and how everything was laid out, Burger King got a very small slice, which is interesting. Oh my god, I'm so glad I've never <laughs> heard about this. My main question for you is, what about Hardee's? I mean, I have so many questions. Like, hard, poor Hardee's. <laughs> Hardee's work so hard to associate themselves with, yeah. you know, that that kind of, like, elite athleticism that we associate with eating Hardee's. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, you've uh, you've really hit your finger on a lot of a lot of uh, the points people have have made. But John, <laughs> let me tell you, the hot takes do not end there. They are they go deep. They go so deep. You can fall into a well of hot takes and be and be sucked down as if you're in the the pit of despair. Uh, it will continue forever, and you will have it will have hot take sand in all of your pores. You know how people are always trying to model what happens inside of black holes, Hank, but we just can't figure it out. Maybe instead of looking at all these scientific models, we need to look at what happens when one falls into a hot take black hole and kind of <laughs> extrapolate out from there. There was no greater hot take black hole than this dumb McDonald's at the White House thing. There was everybody I, yeah, had I mean, it. It, it, oh. I'll tell you what, from the outside, like not having engaged with this at all and not, not having known that it was a story, it seems like the stupidest thing in the world to be talking about. Uh, it from the inside, it also seems like the stupidest <laughs> thing in the world to be talking about. All right. Well, with that noted, let's move on to some questions from our listeners. This first question comes from Emily, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm a senior in high school and everybody's starting to get excited about prom. I already know that I'm going by myself, which is fine, except that all of my friends have dates. Hold on, Emily. Mm. Isn't prom in, like, May? <laughs> I I think I know when prom is because I crashed a prom a couple years ago, and I'm pretty sure it's in, like, April or May. Yeah, I I feel like it's at the end of the year. Yeah. Well, Emily, how do you already know that you're going by yourself? Like, who knows what could happen between now and April? Yeah, it's high school. Are all those those relationships going to last? This is an eternity. Half this. This is we. We have an eternity between now and prom. Half of the couples that are currently scheduled to go to prom together won't be on speaking terms by prom anyway. 
How do I balance hanging out with my friends and respecting their privacy with their dates? And most importantly, what should I do during the inevitable awkward slow dance? Disappear mm. into the bathroom, wander around like a lonely ghost, make a scene and pull the fire alarm? <laughs> Dubious advice is much appreciated. Not a comparison using like or as. Emily. Uh, I don't get it. Simile. Simile, oh, okay. Emily. It's good. I'm there. I've, I've arrived. Uh, I think definitely wander around like a lonely ghost. I wouldn't have put that on the list myself. <laughs> but now that you've brought I, no, it I up. Was gonna, I was going to advise where you slow dance with an imaginary person, where like you just do the full slow dance and you're holding them nice and close. Or maybe you're actually holding them at like a four-inch distance, the way that the mm-hmm. way that you do when you're slow dancing. And yep. you just kind of walk slowly around. And so, if somebody's like, so what are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm dancing with my date. You can't see him? That's weird. <laughs> What's yeah, wrong with dead. you? He's a dead person. He's a ghost. He died in the 1800s. <laughs> His name is Timothy. <laughs> this is my ghost state, Timothy. Yeah, but it's not weird because he died at 17. So it's yeah, a totally yeah, yeah. legitimate thing. He's been a ghost for 300 years, but it's okay because he's aging differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You push, you push pause on the, yeah, on it's the like, age. Yeah. It's like you in Twilight. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everybody knows that. We're going to talk more about ghosts later in the episode, John. Emily, you've got to take a ghost from the 19th century named Timothy to prom. I think... Look, it's fine if you don't want to go with a Timothy. There's lots of other ghosts in the ghost pond. That's very true. I think the main thing, though, Emily, is that you've got to go all in on this. So, like, when your buddies (laughs) rent a limo... And, and like somebody sits next to you, you've got to be like, hey, hey, get, why are you sitting on Timothy? God, it's inappropriate. Okay, he's my date. But maybe actual advice. Uh, you can, uh, during the slow dances, be like, oh, look at my friends. They're having a great time. Uh, I de- theoretically, there's going to be some other things to do. There's going to be punch. Maybe you can go to the punch, get some punch, go to the bathroom, you know, do all that stuff. And then uh, as far as how to not like, you know, encroach on the privacy of your friends, uh, I have no idea now that I've said it out loud. Hank, I'm going to confess that the reason I mentioned I crashed a prom a couple years ago was in the hopes that you would ask me about it. But I guess oh, I know about it. I'm aware of the situation. I know all about it. You do? Yeah. You tell me about when I crashed a prom. It was something you did. That's great. That's a great. That's a good version of the story. You crashed a prom good. two years ago as like a 40 year old man. I believe I was 39, to be fair. So, John, I've got another question here and it is remarkably uh, apt considering the situation re the ghost Timothy in the limo. Um, sure. Annika asks, Dear Hank and John, can ghosts ride in cars? I'm writing a book with mm. a ghost protagonist and she travels around a lot. How does that happen? Pumpkins and penguins, Annika. Uh, can ghosts ride in cars, John? This is more of a question for you, Hank, because when it comes to world building in fiction, what I do is I look outside of the Starbucks where I'm writing from (laughs) and I I look at the businesses that are outside of that Starbucks and I write about things happening inside of them. (laughs) Um, So I'll be like, oh, there's an Applebee's. Hmm. I bet I could use that. Or I'll be like, oh, look at that Speedway gas station. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll I'll, I'll venture my best. Uh, Annika, it's it's on you. It's your call. This is the great thing about writing. Like, ghosts aren't real. Uh, and so you get to create the ghost rules. I you mean, are don't the... tell Emily that, Hank. 
<laughs> you are the master Jeez. of the ghost law. What are ghosts? Are ghosts tied to physical objects, and so they they have to inhabit the space where they always are? Are they able to teleport? Are they or, or like are they tied to individual people? Can they become linked to a person and but can only travel where that person is going? Can they? Uh, detach themselves from one object and detach themselves to another because if a ghost is you know completely uh, ethereal and can like move through walls and stuff you got to ask like can why don't they just fall to the center of the earth so you have to explain that like the ghost is interacting and understanding the physical space in some way and what you really need to do is set up rules and have those rules be consistent and then in the end Oftentimes, the great thing about being able to set up your own rules in a universe is that we are so new to them as the reader experiencing the story that we won't anticipate how you might use those rules in the future. And so we will be surprised when a rule that we have been introduced to and have been living in the world with this rule gets uh, suddenly becomes uh, useful in a new way. And we are astounded and the plot twist is great. So create the rules and uh, create them in a way that is consistent, but also might give you a chance to do something weird and special with those rules in the future. Wow. I had never thought about it that way. So try. Yes. I think that you should. I, if it's me, I'm saying make it so that like the ghost can has to tie itself to a physical object in order to move around. But there is like a procedure that comes along with that. And so you like leave the house and the ghost is like, I can't just leave. What are you sure. crazy? You don't understand the ghost rules? Yeah. If it were me, Annika, I would have the ghost probably go to the speedway at 86th and ditch <laughs> in Indianapolis. Familiar with it. You're just haunting a gas station try to buy a pack of cigarettes and just not be well enough to yeah oh now i want to write a story about ghosts i got all kinds of good ghost rules floating around in my head i i mean i have never had an idea in my life that does not take place in this world when i was listening to you talk about that stuff my mind is completely blown i how do you even have those thoughts Yeah, well, we all we all got our expertises, John. It turns out yours is yours is pretty strong, and doing you're doing just fine. I was thinking the other day that I really I was thinking the other day that what I don't like about old movies is that it's just like people sitting in a room talking to each other. They're just so talky. I love that about old movies. Well, that's probably why you like my books, but <laughs> I don't. I don't like that at all. And that's, why do I write that? Why do I write books about people sitting in rooms talking? All right, Hank. This next question comes from Jess, who writes, Dear John and Hank, when I have leftovers, I leave whatever utensil I was using mm-hmm. in the container with mm-hmm. the leftovers. This yes. prevents me from making other utensils dirty every time I want to eat the leftovers, as well as reminding me to eat them because eventually I run out of spoons. When I tell people... <laughs> about this they look at me weird surely i can't be the only one who does this you are not oh you are you no, just highest of fives i also do this oh god no do you really i do i do it especially with like uh casseroles where i'm gonna need a knife and a fork or, or a pie or a cake or something where I'm going to have to cut and for. I'm like, I can't use a new knife and a new fork every time I get this thing out. And so that like you pull it out and it's like, oh, the knife's already in there. The fork, I don't always do because that's been in my mouth particularly. But if I lived alone, absolutely I would do that. And I don't see anything wrong with it. And I think it's great. I, 
I, I feel like I don't know you anymore. <laughs> Whatever. you Put water in your cereal, you monster. No, water in cereal is totally normal, and it makes sense. It moistens the cereal without having all of the milky flavorness. Using, putting a spoon in the refrigerator... It's itself is very weird. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. Like there, there should never be a spoon in, in the refrigerator. Hard stop. Yeah, it is. A little, so there's something there is something special and weird to it when you pull the the stuff freezing out, cold and there's spoon. a cold and you put like this cold spoon in your hand and in your mouth. It's a unique sensation, but it's not bad. It's not bad. I think this is I think this is fine, and I and I see why. Like, I see that from a certain perspective, it seems weird. But I think that the, the only thing that it, the only reason it, it seems weird is because it seems weird. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah. No, the more I think about it, the more I think, like, there's nothing really wrong with doing it. It's just weird. And so when I encounter something like that, I need to expand mm-hmm. my horizons instead of shutting down. And so <laughs> I. <laughs> Cannot think of a reason not to approve of that behavior, so I will think some more. And if I don't come up with a reason, I will, I will. <laughs> John's going through the process right now. You're, we're in the car with him on the path to a new <laughs> land of appreciation and understanding. John's mind is being changed right now as we listen. You're watching the five stages of grief. Ah. Uh, <laughs> You're grieving for your your lost repugnance at the idea of spoons in the refrigerator. So just to go through the bargaining phase really quickly, you wouldn't <laughs> do it if like m- multiple people were going to use. <sighs> I mean, I guess it's fine. Yeah, even that is kind of fine. I mean, I guess it's probably fine. Yeah, Jess, God, God bless you. You know, good luck and Godspeed, and I hope you. Don't get salmonella. I don't think this would increase the chances of getting salmonella, but I also hope that Jess doesn't get salmonella because I hope that none of you do. Everyone listening, I hope you have a salmonella-free week. Year, even. It's a low bar to jump over, but still. This next question comes from Lex, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my boyfriend and I broke up, and I guess we're doing fine. Mm. I don't think you're doing fine, Lex. It wasn't a great breakup. Things are not good between us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, plot twist. (laughs) (laughs) the problem is we have a class together and there's a seating chart now of Mm. course we sat together with our friends at the beginning now he and i sit next to each other and we can't move what should i do do i put a barrier between us do i just stare him down do i scoot away as far as possible drop the class and move to latvia any advice is appreciated not a tyrannosaurus lex yeah i mean I just feel like you put a little note on your quiz that you hand into your teacher and the bottom of the note says like, here's the answer to question 12. I got this 100% right. And then you say, and also my my seat neighbor is a ghost to me now and I do not want to be near him. <laughs> Timothy and I have ended our relationship on not great terms. Yeah. Can I change it to a different chair? Yeah, but it's I don't a little think weird because like, there's probably not like an open chair in the classroom for you to move to. So somebody has to switch with you and then people are going to be like, why'd you do that? Eh? And you're like, well, we broke up and it wasn't great. Yeah, things are not good between us, to quote you directly, Lex. <laughs> I guess we're doing fine. Things are not good between us. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very breakup feeling. Oh, God, I just I it's awful. Breaking up. It sucks. Bad. It sucks so bad. So bad. It's so unpleasant. 
And um, it would be it would be terrible to have to sit next to the person that was uh, no longer no longer your partner every day in calculus class. I, I I suspect that if you ask your teacher, your teacher will be cool about this, and if they're not cool about it, you'll probably have a good story about what an, an inflexible <laughs> snooker face your teacher is. Yeah. Uh, how about how about uh, you become invisible? Is this an option? Mm, Lex, have you considered trying ghost? <laughs> we always talk about ghosting people, but actually, well, what becoming about becoming a ghost? a ghost? Well, I don't want Lex to die. No, of course not. Nobody's talking about Lex dying, Hank. We're just talking about Lex becoming a ghost for a while. All right, all right. I'm listening. What's your ghost rules, John? Oh, God. <laughs> I just don't believe in ghosts. I don't know what else to say. I don't think they're real. It's hard to imagine them doing anything because I can't, I don't believe in them. <laughs> That's great, John. You're great. I, love you, bro. <laughs> I don't think of myself as an overly concrete thinker. But now that I realize that I'm so close-minded about leaving utensils in the refrigerator and that I can have no <laughs> ideas about ghosts, I'm starting to reevaluate my whole self. I, yeah, it's okay, John. You know, maybe maybe you had that at some point, but then you hit 40 and now you're just you got to be a dad. You got to be just a you got to have good news about liver yeah. transplants. Hank, if you're trying to make me feel better, telling me that I used to have <laughs> abilities that I have lost in old oh. age and will never get back is a bad strategy. Well, I tell you what, that's definitely the case. I, I have bad news. At least from my experience, there are a number of things I can no longer do. <laughs> I went to the doctor recently and uh, we were talking about this knee problem I have and how to make it better. And he said... Uh, this is going to be part of your life. And I was like, you mean until it gets better? <laughs> and he was like, no, until you are dead. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is actually brought to you by things that are going to be part of your life until you're dead. Some of them are good. Increasingly, some of them are bad. <laughs> But increasingly, some of them are also good. I don't want to make it seem like adulthood is, is bad news. Adulthood is great news. And okay. it, it life is a sine wave. And, and when you're in the trough, never forget that it's a sine wave. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the Black Hole of Hot Takes. The Black Hole of Hot Takes. It consumes all information, and we cannot figure out what lies on the other side of it. Oh, certainly not, except for I now want a hamburger. Like, that's that's what I, my main takeaway from the whole thing was. Is like, I looked at a lot of McDonald's, and I was like, I want a hamburger now. And I'm vegetarian for the month, so I couldn't get one. This podcast is also brought to you by The Ghost Rules. These are the rules that the ghosts must abide by, and we do not know them as living mortals. And so we must learn the ghost rules through uh, experimentation and, and inquiry, I guess. That was dangerously close to your fake British accent. <laughs> no, I'm, I have a great British accent now. I'm great at it. Also, can we return to the fact that looking at McDonald's hamburgers made you want to eat a McDonald's hamburger? That has never been my experience with McDonald's hamburgers. Oh, man, I love McDonald's hamburgers. I love everything on the menu at McDonald's, John. I, like, I'm just going to go ahead and admit that and not be ashamed of it. That, that, that's a hot take that I feel is 
coming from a person who maybe hasn't had enough protein today. <laughs> also, Hank, did you know that right now at DFTBA.com, you can get some Nerdfighter Valentines designed by Nerdfighter Sharon? I did know that. They're very good. I like them so much. And they are. I... They're, they're my favorite Valentines we've ever done. We've been doing... So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. For a long time, but these ones are really great. DFTBA.com. John, I got a question here that is for me. Uh, So I'm just going to go ahead and ask it. And it says, Dear Hank and John, I'm in high school and I applied and was accepted at the University of Montana in Missoula. And I just found out I'm a finalist for a big scholarship. And they want me to come to campus for an interview. I'm very excited, but... I live in Tennessee, and most of my travel time will be spent just getting to Missoula, and I don't think I'm going to have any time to explore the town. How do I get the full Missoula experience in less than 24 hours? Life is hard from the womb to the tomb, Libby. I, I feel I feel like this is actually a question for me because I'm yeah. the one who visits Missoula often for only 24 hours, and I, I can tell you right now how to have a great time in Missoula, Montana and that is to go to the American Legion, have a 75-cent PBR, <laughs> and then go to one of the, like, shady, kind of run-down, pretty depressing casino-type things. Yeah, I mean, you could go to the Oxford if you want a legitimate experience. Um, <laughs> if you want to see what Missoula was like, you know, 20 to 50 years ago, uh, the Oxford hasn't changed much. And... I don't go there anymore myself because of how I am uh, almost 40, but some some of the college students still do. Uh, don't take pictures of people there. They don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a good rule in general, like don't take pictures of strangers. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's not that I took a picture of a stranger at the Oxford. It's that I was once at the Oxford and someone took a picture of the bar and someone who was at the Oxford got very mad about it and made them delete it. And it was a very heated moment um, that I feel like could have gone south easily, which is, you know, the kind of thing that happens at the Ox. But there are yeah. lots of there are lots of bars that are nice and not like that. Um, yeah, there are so many nice like restaurants now in Missoula. It's become yeah. a very cool town. 
Yeah, there's this great, so there's a great uh, like dive bar slash nice bar combination. Um, Al's and Vicks is an old bar that's been there forever. And, uh, and Al's and Vicks, the people who run it, their son started a bar adjacent to it called the James Bar. And it's like sort of upscale and posh. And the nice thing about this is that the bathrooms are in the James Bar. So the bathrooms are nice. But if you want like a dive bar experience with nice bar bathrooms, Al's and Vicks is the place to go. I think that we're giving a lot of bar advice to a 17-year-old. <laughs> oh, dang it. Uh, this is maybe one of the big problems with Missoula, that the most of the stuff to do is related to beer. Uh, but there is other stuff. I, I suggest just, like, walking down uh, Higgins, just going over the bridge, like start, like, start at the top by the X's by the railroad, walk all the way down over the bridge to the hip strip, which is what they call, like, the part of town where parking is still free, and uh, and there's like bookstores and places and you know it's uh, like snack on whatever you walk by and and there's that and then you might want to also just hike up the M and see the M is a big giant M that's on the side of the mountain and you can hike, hike up to the M and see a nice vista of the university and the town and also think to yourself oof that was surprisingly difficult I do not hike up mountains very often but if you live in Missoula you'll do it all the time and it won't be hard anymore. So, all right, there you go. You're going to go for a walk because that's what you can do in Missoula if you can't drink. Hank, I've got another question for you. This one comes from Sarah who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've tried to Google this to no avail. I'm hoping you can help. Several times a week I'm faced with this question. Which option uses the least energy, not including my own exercise? One, grab a soda in an aluminum can from the fridge on my floor. Or two, take the elevator down to the ground floor, refill my reusable cup from the soda fountain on the ground floor and take the elevator back to the fourth floor. Thank you for your help. Que sera, Sarah. <laughs> Man, I'm glad that you are con- concerned about this. I think you may be over amplifying the level of impact either of these decisions are having. It's good to be aware, but my guess is probably the best thing is to go down the elevator and refill a cup. That's my yes, guess. I agree. It's not, it's not even close, actually, because of the energy cost involved in getting the, the water and, right. the, and the soda into the can because most soda fountains use, like, local water. So I suspect in the end this is not close and you're better off getting in the elevator, especially because there's at least a chance – that the elevator was already going to be in use, right? Like some percentage of the time you're getting on an elevator that somebody else is already on. But definitely the best thing would be to just fill up a bottle of water. Well, but then how are you going to get that sweet, sweet Diet Dr. Pepper taste? I do like, I do like soda. Oh, me too. It is such, it is one of my, yeah, me too. I just, I can't. I, yeah, I can't stop. I can't stop it with soda. John, this next question comes from Alex, who asks, Dear Hank and John, how do I end a voicemail? You don't say a bye because there's no one to say bye to. What do I do? Rhymes with orange, Alex. John, what do you say at the end of voicemails? You know how my friend Chris ends phone calls? And I think this is actually a really effective strategy. It was also uh-huh. used, you may remember, Hank, by our mother's father, our papa. Uh-huh. The way Chris yeah, ends a I, phone call... I know how Papa ends phone calls. The way Chris ends a phone call is by hanging up. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> we're, just, we're done with this. 
Every time I talk to Chris, the conversation ends when I hear the click. And it was the same when we would talk on the phone to our grandfather when we were kids. Like, yeah. Papa would ask us questions. He would tell us about what was going on in Birmingham, how uh-huh. things were with the family, and then click. Yeah. It's like he just decided the phone call was over and did not tell. I mean, hey, that's his That's his prerogative. It, he's he's the grand granddad. He could do whatever he wants. Papa also had a reputation for being in meetings and getting bored and leaving them. Yeah, no, I want to develop that reputation as well. Me too. I want it like that's. <laughs> I think about that all the time. There's so many times in my life when I'm like, man, if I were Papa right now, I would just stand up and walk out. Uh, we were watching a TV show last night. <laughs> We were like two thirds of the way through watching the Marvelous Miss Maisel episode we were watching. And Catherine stands up, she walks out of the house into yeah. the 10 degree weather in yeah. her just normal clothes. And and I'm like, what just happened? And I said, are you okay? And she said, yes, I'm just taking a picture of this table. <laughs> that's my that's my life, John. And uh, wait, why was the table outside? It was like the table on our porch. And I was oh, like, why are you, you taking a picture of the table. table on the porch? You have to be such a fancy person in this world to have an outside table. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a very small table, to be clear. Oh, it, yeah, it sure, of course. That's what for, all the fancy people say. No, it's, a, not that, it's not that great of an outside table. You know, I've <laughs> just, uh, just picked it up at Pier 1. No big deal. It's got a plant on it. Oh, it's great. Outside I mean, it doesn't have tables. a plant on it right now because it's wintertime, so there's nothing on it. it would be I want to tell plant. 22-year-old Hank that he's going to own an outside table someday in Missoula, have. Montana, where you can only use it like three months a year. <laughs> That's not true, Libby. It's nice for more than three months a year. Well, I mean, nice. What's nice? <laughs> Hank's like, Libby, please come to college here. We need you. We need everybody <laughs> who wants to come to Montana. Yeah. What was the question? I don't know. What were we talking about? How you end how you end a voicemail. <laughs> oh right. Of course. That makes perfect sense. You just walk out. I don't know, you get your get your information done and you hang up. Boom. Done. Be a papa. Yeah, be a papa. This next question comes from Joe, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I live in Australia, and the other day I was on a bushwalk with my parents, and we were listening to the birds, and it got us wondering whether birds learn their call from their mum, or if it's just natural to them. For instance, if a magpie grew up with a crow, would it have the call of a crow or the call of a magpie? Please answer, and if you do, does it apply to other animals like cats and dogs? I'd really like to know. Joe! Have you ever been on a, on a bushwalk, John? <laughs> no, definitely I think you not. have. I think you go on uh, bushwalks all the time. It's just like a hike. It's, it's like a walk in the woods. If, I, if yeah. I walk in the woods, I'm going on a bushwalk? Correct, yes. Well, then yes, I've been on many. I was on one earlier today, I guess. I'm just going to go to Wiktionary and make sure. It's a hike, an off-road walk in the countryside, possibly wearing a backpack, undertaken as a leisure activity. Hmm. I went to Urban Dictionary to find out the same thing, and it is very different over there. <laughs> uh, I don't even know the answer to this question. Oh, I do. I, oh, good. I, I, ducks and geese, when they hang out together a lot, mm-hmm. at least in my observations on the White River in Indianapolis, the ducks start to sound like geese and the geese start to sound like ducks. Now, I don't know... 
I don't know if that's real, but that is my <laughs> that is my experience. Good, good. This is what John knows from his bushwalks. Um, I <laughs> I also know. Here's what I know on the West Coast crows which are the same yeah. species, sound different mm-hmm. than they do on the East Coast. They make a different call. They go, and here, they make a crow noise. They go, call, call. On the, where, where I grew up in Florida, crows go, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> it's the dumbest <laughs> noise. I mean, like, boy. Who taught you this? Learn crow. Learn how to I'll speak t- crow like the crows. I'll tell you what, Joe. Y- you came to this podcast for high-quality ornithology, and you got it. <laughs> So that's that's our experience. My guess is if you Google this, you'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Hank, we have a related we have a related question. We have a related question. Okay. This question comes from Kaylee. It's quite serious, but it is related. Dear John and Hank, I've heard you talk a few times on the pod about the ability you both have to speak with authority that you don't actually have on subjects <laughs> where you don't actually know if what you're saying is correct. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Although, Kaylee, as we, as we just showed you, we also have the ability to sound like we have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> My dad has this same talent, and it's a real problem. My dad loves to argue specifically about politics, but he refuses to leave room for the possibility that he might be wrong. This would be fine, but his ideas are completely bananas. Like, I'm all for healthy political discourse, but he'd rather talk about conspiracy theories than policy. For example, my dad thinks that the Women's March protesters were paid actors funded by Warren Buffett because there's no other way several protests could have possibly popped up all over the world on the same day without someone pulling the strings. (laughs) Are you sure it's Warren Buffett, Kaylee? Because usually it's George Soros, but maybe it's Warren Buffett this time. Uh, Regardless, it is ludicrous to me to think that Warren Buffett could organize something like that either. (laughs) Obviously, it's difficult to make your point when the person you're arguing with speaks as confidently as an expert and you don't have your list Mm. of sources readily available. What are some strategies to get around this and have a productive conversation with my dad? Aardvarks and alternative facts, Kaylee. Kaylee, I don't know that it's there. I don't know that that path exists. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I also don't think that the path exists because especially when you're dealing in conspiracy theories, presenting countervailing evidence doesn't often help because that's part of the conspiracy. Like, right. It all facts can be dismissed as part of the conspiracy. So you can talk to people who believe that the earth is flat about the many, many reasons we know the earth is round, but they can dismiss that by saying, no, those people are also in on the conspiracy. Right. No, this photograph is fake. Um, yeah. And that's really frustrating and hard to deal with. And uh, But like there are also other reasons to talk to people and other things to talk about and and also like the love is still there and the connection is still there and I'm sure that you still care about each other but like maybe this isn't something that you are going to be able to help your dad get free of yeah I I, I mean maybe you can say to your dad look if there comes a time where you want to you want to talk about this and and we can really like look at look at the evidence then i'm happy to explain to you who organized the women's march and 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 who funded it and, and the fact that these people were not paid actors and, and 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 i'm happy to like look at look at that with you but i don't think 
we can have a conversation about it right now because I, I don't think we're dealing in the same realities. Yeah, and the and the the only good part of it of having these conversations would be honing your ability to speak with confidence. And that right. is not going to make your relationship any better. And it is not also not going to change his mind. But I will say that there is, you know, there is power and it is good to be able to speak truth with with confidence. And that is a skill that, you know, to to be developed and something that doesn't happen immediately overnight. It's something that you work on. Yeah, but as you're working on it, you do also have to be careful not to learn how to speak confidently about things you don't actually know that much about, which is why Hank and I always try to call the other out when we're doing that. <laughs> Girls go beep. <laughs> and do you know why crows go beep, Hank? Uh, actually, it's a really interesting story. Yeah, no, they learned it from, and this is what's so fascinating about it, 1984 Ford Escorts. The, right. the, the, the pitch at which they beep is identical to a 1984 Ford Escort. And that, the, scientists believe that's where they learned it back yeah, in the early actually, 80s. It indicates that there is a single origin point for right. the crow beep, that there was a very powerful alpha crow. Yes. And he was a you know sort of romantically involved with a, a car in the 80s and right. uh and in order to you know try and push that relationship to the next level he began this this beep call and because he was such a powerful crow all of the other crows came loaded onto his call and uh and, and and interestingly even though he never himself procreated because he was so so connected with this car his mm -hmm. beep was able to to travel around through the crow community, which is like amazing because it, it shows that this isn't just a like a genetic evolution that these species have. There's also cultural evolution. Exactly. And the name of that crow, of course, Warren Buffett. <laughs> listen, listen to the words, not the tone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, like, <laughs> like YouTube should have that above every YouTube video. It should say in, like, bright red letters, listen to the words, not the tone. All right, John, another question. This one comes from Rory, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my partner and I have been together for over four years and are discussing getting married and weddings. The problem is that I grew up in the UK and she grew up in Canada, and we both currently live in Sweden with our family and friends spread out around the world and not wanting to leave anyone out. We're having a conundrum. Any dubious advice would be greatly appreciated. Rory. I think in this situation you get married in the Atlantic Ocean? No, John. No. Iceland. Nope. Mm. Rory, you and your lovely partner mm -hmm. are going to get married on Twitter. No. <laughs> no. Boom! Everybody's going to uh, be there! And uh, no. it's just like, do you, Rory, take Allison to be your waff waffly leaded wife? And then you tweet, the pastor tweets that, and then you reply to the tweet, I do. It's just all on Twitter. Everybody's going to be like, oh, the world is ending and I hate everything. And everybody can be there. Everybody can come. And we'll all, there will be so many hot takes about it. Yeah, they'll be like, Rory's suit is blue. No, it's yellow. It'll be great. <laughs> my, my meme usage is extremely dated because yeah. I don't have access to That's, the internet. That was bad. That was bad. So is that, are we still talking about the dress or have we moved on? 
Uh, we've moved on from the dress, John. Yeah, that's a terrible idea, Rory. <laughs> um, listen to the words, not the tone. The, 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 the best idea is to get married where you want to get married and hope that your friends and family can come. And if they can't come, that's okay. You'll mm-hmm. still be married and they will still love you and you will see them on your round-the-world post-marriage trip or something. I actually have friends who did that, and it was so cool. I mean, are, do you guys have unlimited resources? Because you should totally do that. You should get go get married on every continent. No, you should only get married once. But presumably, at some point, they will go to both Canada and the UK, where they are from. And <laughs> when you go to Canada, right. you can have a little party with your Canadian friends. And when you go to the UK, you can have a little party with your British friends, assuming there is still a Great Britain at the time. And uh, yeah, that'll be nice. <laughs> Yeah, I I do feel sometimes like uh, how do you make it clear that you do not expect people to lay down like five thousand dollars getting to your wedding? Like that is right. just it is it is a an amount that is it's unreasonable to expect, or maybe it, it's the kind of the kind of thing that someone will do, but you want to make you want to say like don't do this. You don't want to say you don't have to do this. You want to say don't do it. Do not make a bad financial decision right now. Like do not use like the the next five years of your savings to come to my wedding. Like we will get to you and we will we will celebrate us coming together, but it's not going to be this official thing because we live too international a lifestyle. Which is very cool. Don't get me wrong. I don't know. Obviously, people shouldn't feel obligated. But if they want to come to your wedding and you want them there, it's fine. I just feel like to some extent we do need to like redefine some cultural norms in a world that is different. And so like it once was completely normal for for you to be in the town where you were. And and for many people still is uh, to to be in the town where you were raised, be married, and have all of your friends and family already there. Everybody's from the same place. That used to be like a hundred percent of people, and now that percentage yeah. is going down. And so we have some traditions that might be somewhat based on older systems. And this it can be really difficult to try and maintain that if not everybody is able able to. And so one certainly be understanding, but two also try and be clear that you're not going to require anybody or be mad if people don't show up. Yeah, so our vote is for multiple small parties so that your wedding never ends. That sounds terrible. It it certainly does. (laughs) Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, we need to address a pressing issue, Uh which is about olives. That's why I said pressing. Anybody? Oh, no? God. Too, there. Too much? Wow. Wow. Jeez. I thought, I thought that was my, my bag. Everybody in England, and I mean everybody, wrote in <laughs> to tell us that all of the olive gardens in England, so far as we can tell, are not actual olive gardens. They are just restaurants named Olive Garden that are independently owned. Yeah. Are they all independently owned from one another? It would seem so. And lots of people um, seem to feel like they really wanted an olive garden in their town, but their town was not yet civilized enough for a proper olive garden. So instead, they had this like knockoff olive garden. And lots of people in Wigan, for instance, were like, trust me, Wigan doesn't have an olive garden, to which I would say, I don't think you've been to an olive garden. (laughs) 
I mean, th I'm looking at the Olive Garden in Wigan right now, and I will give you two pieces of information, John. One, yeah. this place does not look particularly well-maintained, but it does have good <laughs> reviews. Two, they are using signs and, and like, the logo of Olive Garden. Yeah. They like yeah. they just stole Olive Garden. It's but it's not an Olive Garden. Yeah, but it's because Olive Garden, the Olive Garden based in Orlando, Florida, that Olive Garden, it it can't get to England. It, it, you know? it can't like, get there because it's it has to follow the ghost rules. Yeah, due to the I'm sure you're familiar with the <laughs> Olive Garden ghost rules, Hank. You can't swim across an ocean, <laughs> especially if you're an Olive Garden. Lots. So anyway, to all of you from all over the United Kingdom who wrote about the Olive Garden issue, we understand that there are now multiple Olive Gardens, one founded in Oban, Scotland, one founded in Wigan, etc. Um, and we wish all of those Olive Gardens good luck with however Brexit works out. Maybe it's just going to work out where there's just like a lot of – like in addition to leaving the European Union, like Great Britain will break up into a series of increasingly small city-states until finally, you know, there's like 18 different warring governments inside the city of London – Right. So like how it maybe used to that will happen be. before May and they'll call off the soccer season and AFC Wimbledon won't be relegated. <laughs> Here's hoping, John. <laughs> What's the best possible outcome from Brexit, John? Oh, a series of wars between tiny city states that results in the suspension of the soccer season. <laughs> Everything will be fine. It's really all about AFC Wimbledon. So, John, speaking of, can you give me the news from AFC Wimbledon? Sure, I'd love to. So, AFC Wimbledon are in the fourth round of the FA Cup for the first time in their history since reforming. It's very exciting. Wow. Uh, it has nothing to do with how well we're doing in League yeah, One, the third tier of English football, which is poorly. We actually tied our last game, which was a, a reasonably good result. And yet, despite that reasonably good result, we are now... Now, like f much further adrift in League One, we are in oh, last wow. place, and the team that is in second to last place, unfortunately, <sighs> is four points ahead of us. So a win and a draw ahead of us. Nineteen games remaining in the League One season. We have to win at least nine of those and possibly ten of them. So AFC Wimbledon are in the fourth round of the FA Cup, which is very exciting. And like I said, it's the first time we've been there in a long time. Really cool. Super happy playing West Ham, a Premier League side. And the game is on January 26th, Hank, and it's going to be kind of televised in America. Oh, that doesn't seem likely. And by kind of, I mean that it's going to be on ESPN+. Plus which is a ESPN okay. subscription package, but it is a really high quality stream and there is a free trial. So wait <laughs> until January 25th to sign up for ESPN Plus and then cancel it after AFC Wimbledon stuns the world and beats West Ham. Well, and if you get to the fifth round of the FA Cup, what happens then? Ah, uh, big payday. <laughs> and then are you, are you, are you winners? Did you, do you, are you, do you win a trophy? No, no, we would be in the final 16 so we would be oh, yeah. several games still away from winning a trophy. So, uh, yeah, I mean, probably not going to win a trophy. 
Fine. Will not happen. That's okay. Trophies are fine, but paydays are great. So I'll be rooting for you. It, yeah, it would be like one of the great stories of the 21st century if AFC Wimbledon made it into the fifth round of the FA Cup. So <laughs> I, 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 for one, would be incredibly excited. So probably it's not going to happen is what you're saying. All right, John, well, the news from Mars, the Republic of Georgia. You know about them, right? Sure, of course. The, the country of Georgia and the Caucasus. Uh, Georgia uh, is uh, starting a research project to develop different kinds of wine grapes mm. that will survive well in Mars conditions. Wow. So that's a few different things. They want to create things that will handle cold well, things that will handle uh, the Martian soil. So they're actually trying, like, got a basically a like a substitute for Martian soil that they're trying to use to grow these grapes in. And they uh, like a high CO2 environment and a high acidity environment, all these things so that they can uh, help astronauts of the future, Mars residents of the future, you know, relax after a long day doing research and uh, surviving, eking out an existence on the red planet. Um, and they, they think that in the next few years, maybe by 2022, they're going to have a, a Mars-friendly grape variety ready. So Wow. Mars wine. Nothing. Mars wine. Why are they doing it, John, you ask? Of course you would. That's because why? There's other stuff to do. Well, it turns out Georgia is where wine is from, and they're proud of that. And they say that since we, uh, since Georgia brought wine to Earth, we can do the same for Mars. Really? I mean, that's what the, the uh, founder of the Georgian Space Research Agency said. Um, I did not our, know our that ancestors wine... brought wine to Earth. Wow. So we can do the same to Mars. It's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful yeah. sentiment. It also makes me want to try Georgian wine, which I've never tried before. Yeah. I've tried wine well, from the American Georgia, um, <laughs> and it's not very good. But <laughs> I, I would be very interested to try wine from the nation of Georgia. Maybe I will put that on my list for things I want to do in my life. They have a lot of different wine varieties that they grow there. They have, uh, at this research institute, they grow 450 native varieties. So they can, uh, they can do a lot of crossbreeding there. And John, the question apparently on a lot of people's minds, according to this article, is, uh, is, is wine on Mars going to be red or white? Is it going to be easier to do uh, white wine grapes or red wine grapes? And uh, I'll tell you, not sure. Nobody knows, but some people seem to think that green grapes will be better at tolerating radiation. So mm. maybe white, which would be just fine with me because red wine tastes way too much. Oh, I like red wine. You just have to have good red wine, Hank. It can be very jammy and overwhelming if it's if it's not good. But if it's good, it can be very good. Mm. I just want to like get through life without being able to like identify whether or not a wine is jammy. <laughs> that's actually a pretty good life goal it's a really good point actually i want to go back in time to before i said that because i can't possibly <laughs> criticize you for having an outside table and then <laughs> make grand pronouncements about wine quality yeah yeah mostly i feel like like red wine tastes like grapes sort of some raisin in there <laughs> <laughs> is, for me it's at least 95 percent grapey <laughs> now, whenever it says wine tastes grapey, and it right. makes me really suspicious of the entire industry. It's a really good point, Hank. I hadn't thought of that. They're like, you know what? This this is gr this tastes like grape juice with booze in it. 
Anybody else get that feeling? Like, uh, this one tastes like white grape juice with booze in it, and this one tastes like red grape juice with booze in it? (laughs) Or is that just me? (laughs) Oh, God, why haven't I tried just putting vodka into grape juice in the proper proportions and seeing how much, like, wine that tastes? And then... uh, just sharing that around and being like, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a venter now. Here I am. Make, I'm rich. I think that's how they made that stuff I had in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hank, we're off to record our Patreon-only podcast this week in Ryan's over at Patreon.com/slash/DearHankAndJohn. But thank you for potting with me. Oh, thank you as well. It was a great time. Uh, this podcast is edited by the, the. Intimidable Nick Nicholas Jenkins. In, is inimitable? Intim- is that what you're trying to say? Intimidable word? <laughs> intimidable? What does inimitable mean? In, inimitable means like unlike anyone else. Yeah, sure. Unimitable. What does inti- uh, intimidable mean? <laughs> I, can't, I can't indulge that joke because I'm no longer able to think abstractly. You're too old. This podcast is edited by the very great Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Ruas and Sheridan Gibson, who are also great. And our head of community and communication is Victoria Bongiorno, who is similarly great. <laughs> this music that you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.